Well, good morning to all of you, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Welcome to Gateway Tays Valley, and uh, especially if it's your first time, we're glad that you're here, glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning, and uh, we're just, I'm glad to see all of you here this morning. We are in the fourth week of our message series called Faith With Doubt, and as part of this series, we've made three statements consistently. First, having questions in your faith, or even doubt, is normal. In fact, if you're not having questions, you may not really be alive in your faith. An authentic faith may require having questions and doubts and then working through them. We've also said that in confidence, we share the evidence and the answers that we know. We should all be prayerfully studying God's Word more as as well as learning the answers from science, from philosophy and history that give us reason to believe and truth to share. And third, in humility, we sometimes may have to say, I don't know, and that's okay. Let's face it, there are some questions we don't and won't have answers to in this life. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see through a glass dimly, but then we will see face to face. There are many root causes of doubt in our life, three of which we've covered already. Doubt can come from a a muddled memory where we forget God and we think that we are the reason behind our blessings. Or doubt can come from a partial picture of God where we let our own experiences or the religion of the day paint paint our picture of God. Or it can come from a faulty foundation where we try to build our faith on a, a church or a preacher or on our parents' faith or even on our own feelings, but all of these will cause problems because when the storms of life come, our faith will come crashing down because it's built on a faulty foundation. And this morning we're going to look at our fourth root cause of doubt in our faith, and that is a confused commitment. Now this morning we are going to be looking at the words of Joshua to the Israelites. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 24. Uh, And as you're heading over there, before we get there, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about commitment in our culture today. And we struggle with commitment, don't we? We often get confused in our commitments in several different areas of our lives. For example, uh, we have trouble committing to physical exercise and healthy living. Let me ask you this morning, how is that New Year's resolution gym membership going for you here in August? Uh, We have trouble keeping our commitment even to fun things, even to things we enjoy, to our hobbies. I mean, we have trouble just making our way and completing a 300-page book before we switch to another book, or before we switch to something else. We are ADHD, even in our hobbies. Uh, We have trouble keeping our commitment to learning a new skill. We commit to these things. A lot of these things are New Year's resolutions, right? This year I'm going to do this. This year I'm going to do this. And yet, we have trouble keeping our commitment. And we have trouble keeping our commitments in relationships and in friendships. And if you wonder where You've had trouble in your life with commitments. Just ask yourself, what are the things in my life that I have started and never finished? Now, ladies, keep your elbows to yourselves from your husband. But if you can't keep your commitment in the little things, then how will we keep our commitment to the big things of life? And perhaps the most concerning thing about commitment is when we have a confused commitment in our faith. 
Maybe you've committed in the past to reading the Bible more, or praying more, to giving more, to serving more, or to coming to church more, but other things just always seem to get in the way. And this is a common characteristic of our culture. Our culture discourages commitment. One young college student was asked about his commitment to his faith, and he replied, I take my commitment on a day-to-day basis. I see what each day brings, and I go with what I feel at the time. And unfortunately, that's a, that's a common approach to life and to commitment. People don't want to commit until they get into a given situation and see what they're presented with. And that sounds like you're being flexible and you're being accepting, but the very nature of commitment requires that some decisions of commitment have to be made before the situation occurs and despite what a situation may bring. Can you imagine a young man standing on his wedding day at the, in front of the congregation, the preacher's there, his bride comes down the aisle, they get to the moment in the ceremony for the marriage vows, and rather than saying, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death, I give you my promise, he says, one day at a time, depending on how I feel that morning, we'll see what the day brings. Before we make any promises, I think she would run, right? I, I think the preacher might slap him too. I, you know, like that is not what you want to hear in a marriage vow. No, that true commitment means that I make a decision about how I will act or how I will respond before the situation comes my way. And for believers, it's a decision to honor Christ in all things and above all things, whatever the pain and whatever the cost. It's a commitment to obey His Word, even when it becomes inconvenient to do so. Even when it becomes one of the hardest things that I have to do. I will honor Him when the sun is shining and when it's raining. When I want to and when I don't want to. And there's no other way to be a follower of Christ. If your commitment changes with your feelings or your situations, the question is, is it really a commitment in the first place? And I would say no, because commitment means that I've already decided what I will do. I will already, I've already decided how I will react. I will honor Jesus. If this is, and if this is not what you mean by commitment, then I think you have a confused commitment mentality that will become fertile ground for questions and doubt in your faith. You'll find yourself jumping the fence every day looking for greener pastures. And just like a church or a company has a vision statement like here at Gateway, our vision statement is to love God Love people and serve. That's a commitment we have made for every situation. And so every Christian needs to live by a vision statement to honor Christ and put Him first in all things. So let's go to Joshua chapter 24. Hopefully you're there already. And talk about three steps to making a clear commitment in our faith. Now, to get you up to speed on the events of the book of Joshua up into this point uh, and see what's going on here, after taking over from Moses, now Moses led the Israelites out of, of Egypt, out of slavery. Uh, God chose him to lead them out. And of course, you have the Red Sea parting, and they're in the wilderness for so long. And then Moses hands the reins over to Joshua. And now Joshua has led them to the promised land. They're in the promised land, and Joshua is now making his farewell speech. He has led them through some of the toughest times as they prepared to enter and have entered the promised land. They had to fight their way through the many tribes of Canaan. 
But now they're at rest from their enemies. And they're coming into the land of promise. And now here is Joshua making his farewell speech. In chapter 23, he reminds them of how much God has been fighting for them at every turn. And now in chapter 24, he reminds them of their journey. The journey of their people all the way back to when God called Abraham to be the father of many nations. Joshua reminds them of how God not only fought for them, but even sent killer hornets to fight for them. I mean, see, killer hornets aren't always bad news. Uh, Our early childhood director, Aubrey Morris, was out yesterday running and was attacked by hornets. And so sometimes they sting you and sometimes they go before you. Uh, They can go either way, I guess. But in this case, God God sent killer hornets on behalf of the Israelites. And and so Joshua reminds them of that. And, And then Joshua tells them that in order to keep God on their side in the future, well, they need to continue to keep their covenant with God. If they want God to deliver them and protect them, they need to keep their commitment to Him without confusion. So chapter 24 of the book of Joshua, Joshua is telling them how to do that, and it comes in three steps. Step one is to understand what God wants. And here they are in the land that God promised them and gave to them. We're here. We've been on this journey the whole time. Now what? And and so they're looking around. What what does God want us to do now? What does right living look like? What does God want us to be doing? And Joshua, well, he tells them in verse 14. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. And so what does God want from us? Well, he wants all of us. He wants us to fear Him and serve Him with all faithfulness. To to fear the Lord, though, doesn't mean that we cower in our basement, always worrying that it's going to strike us down because of our sin. It means to have a right respect for Him and to understand that He is God and I am not. See, God holds all the power and I have none. He calls the shots and I am merely his servant and my role in life is to do whatever he wants me to do even if it doesn't make sense. But our culture gets this backwards. Our culture is a me first culture of having things my way in my time. The problem is that's, that creates a tension because that's not what God wants. Since God created me, He is the Lord of my life, and I can't discover who I am without knowing who He is. He is the potter. I am merely the clay. And so God wants an exclusive relationship with me. He's not wanting us to date other people. He wants an exclusive relationship with us, and He's not willing to allow us to split our allegiance. Because we cannot serve two masters. Oh, we can certainly try. Many of us have tried. But here's the problem. When we try to serve someone or something other than God, we stop serving Him. And God offers no room for a confused commitment here. Look at the rest of verse 14. Joshua says, Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. They need to be cast out. You need to let go of them. You need to get them out of your life. Because for some reason, the people here, the Israelites, they're still holding on to these little idols that they had brought with them from Egypt. Despite the deliverance from slavery, despite God leading them out of the wilderness and keeping his promise to bring them to this land, 
they're still holding on to these idols. So Joshua tells them, look, it's time to get rid of these once and for all. What are you doing? And so what God wants for us is an exclusive relationship with him where he is on the throne. He alone is on the throne, and we are his willing servants. And it can't really work any other way. He alone created and sustains all things. If we try to take his place or put something else there, then everything will eventually fall apart. And anything other than exclusive worship, well, isn't really worship at all. Anything other than an exclusive commitment is no commitment at all. And so Joshua said, hey, here's the first step. I want you to understand what God wants. Come out of the fog on this. Come into the understanding this is what you need to make a clear, not confused commitment to the Lord. That was step one. Step two is to understand the alternatives. Look at what Joshua says in verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, and I want to stop there and I want to focus on the word undesirable. Is it interesting to you that Joshua is giving them a choice at all? That God is giving them a choice at all? He's, Joshua's here, he's encouraging the Israelites to consider the alternatives to the one true God. Look, God is, when we look at the course of history in the Bible and even in our own lives, God is not generally in the arm-twisting business. Now, there are exceptions, exceptions to this, but I believe his normal MO is to give us all a choice. Jesus let the rich young ruler walk away. And if you look over the history of the Israelites, God certainly gave them the freedom to make their own decision. He wasn't very happy about it. But time and again, they were free to walk away and to trust people or things other than God. And he'll let you and I walk away if that's what we choose. If following him seems undesirable to us. So Joshua says, if you don't think you can make this exclusive, clear commitment to the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Now this isn't the only time in the Israelites' history where a prophet is standing there telling them to choose whom they will serve. In 1 Kings 18, the Israelites are trying to worship the one true God while also worshiping the earthly god Baal. And Elijah stands before them and basically says, look, you've got to choose one. If the Lord is God, worship him. But if Baal is God, worship him. But stop trying to play both sides because that doesn't fly here. That's not the way this works. And listen, in our lives, there is no doubt that the alternative to following Jesus is a whole lot easier. I mean, there are no real demands on your life if you don't want to follow him. And you, can, you can do whatever you want to do. Act any way you want to act. Sleep with whoever will have you in their bed. And just live any way that you would choose. The religion of the culture is right in front of us. And it's all around us. And the same was true in, of the culture in which the Israelites found themselves. And so make sure you take a long, hard look at the alternatives. Who do you want to worship? Can you make that commitment? Because we don't want to end up like Lot's wife and be tempted to keep looking back at Sodom left behind. Jesus taught this concept of commitment as well. In Luke 9, 62, he said that no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
And in Luke 14, Jesus says that we should count the cost before we decide to build. I think that means that we should consider the alternatives, consider how hard it's going to be, and consider other routes as well. Now, for the, for the Israelites, what were their alternatives? Well, he gave them at least two. The gods of their ancestors were, were those that people were, were worshiping before God called Abraham. But remember that these people were outside of the covenant relationship with God. They didn't know him, and he hadn't revealed himself to them. So is that really what you want? Is that a good alternative for you? Or you could choose to worship the gods of the Amorites. My problem with that is the Israelites had just gone through and defeated them in battle. So Joshua was saying, if you want to worship defeated false gods after what you've just seen, that's fine if that's what you want. And today, we have similar alternatives. The gods of our culture or the one true God. But if you think that following Jesus is too hard or too inconvenient, then don't make a commitment you don't intend to keep. Count the cost before you commit to following him. Because the gods of our culture are a lot easier to serve. I think this is part of what Jesus is referring to in Revelation 3.15 when he tells the church at Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Step three is to make a decision. Look at the end of verse 15. Joshua says, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And isn't that a great verse? We put it up in our house. We put it on t-shirts. We put it on Facebook. You know, it, it may be one of the greatest verses in the Bible. It is a declaration. Certainly one of the most well-known verses of the Bible. And in it, Joshua draws a line in the sand. He's making up his mind before the hard times come, before he knows what the, how the situation is going to play out. We are going to fo- serve the Lord. We're going to follow him. He's making a decision for life, and he will not let the circumstances or the winds of the day knock him off course. There is no confusion in Joshua's commitment. And in the same way, each one of us must make a decision about God. As Christian parents, we need to make a decision about God on behalf of our family. We will stand before God one day to answer that decision. And make no mistake about it, putting off this decision or not making this decision, not addressing this decision is a decision. It is either a decision to honor God, to pray, to study his word, to make church priority, to live out his purposes, and to share him with others, or it's a decision not to. Go back to that story about Elijah with the Israelites, Baal or God, the response of the people, they said nothing. And in its own way, that was an answer in its own right. And so when Joshua says it this way, all the people, when he says, for me and mine, we will serve the Lord, their response, all the people, they say, well, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. In other words, they're saying, yeah, of course we're going to commit to serving him. We're in, let's do this. They're all excited. They're, they're, oh man, there's an exclamation point. I mean, they are, yes, Joshua, we are on board with you. But Joshua wasn't buying it. Look at verse 19. Joshua says, you are not able to serve the Lord. Can you imagine if you came out, yeah, let's do it. We're on board. Yeah, I want to be with you. And he goes, no, you're not, you're not allowed. <laughs> what? You just set me up. Joshua says, he is a holy God. 
He is a jealous guy. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. And it's almost like they have this excitement on their face. Yeah! And then it's just slowly like melting away. Like, what are you saying? He continues. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after He has been good to you. Why would He say this? I mean, this seemed like exactly the response he was looking for. I, we're gonna, I'm going to serve the Lord. And they all go, yeah, us too. So why would he respond this way? Why, why, why wouldn't God forgive their sins? Look at verse 23 and we can find the answer. Joshua says, Now then, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Did you catch the word there? Did you catch the reason? Joshua uses the present tense are. He uses the word are, not were, not the foreign gods that were among you, the foreign gods that are among you. This is current. This is still going on. You see, they were saying one thing to Joshua while they were still holding on, holding firm to their idols. I mean, they probably had their hands behind their backs, crossed their fingers when they said it, right? They had a confused commitment. Friends, I fear many of us are saying we are committed to God while we are still holding on to our idols. It's easy to say, oh, we will serve the Lord, but it's hard to release our grip and throw out our idols, isn't it? Joshua says, this won't work because your heart is still leaning toward your idols. You're saying one thing, but you're living out the opposite. It's one thing to say, I will serve the Lord, but it's another thing to show it with your life. Because in many ways, actions speak louder than words. There is no such thing as having our cake and eating it too when it comes to God and His Son, Jesus. You can read throughout the whole Old Testament. All God ever wanted from the Israelites was for them to worship Him and Him alone and to trust Him with their future. But time and again, they tried to worship God and. Except there is no God and. It's God only. And the expectation is no different with Jesus. Remember, it was Jesus speaking in Revelation 3. It was Jesus speaking in Luke 9. It was Jesus speaking in Luke 14. Following Jesus means a complete devotion to him. And Jesus says that we have to know up front what's, what the cost is so we can make an educated decision. So you don't feel like you got tricked. See, we cannot try to follow Jesus and... When we choose Jesus, it's Jesus only. And so when we try to mix Jesus and our idols, we diminish who Jesus is. We just, when we try to make him part of the mix of our life, that's like an insult to Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he deserves to be on the throne of your heart. So don't insult him by trying to put other things there. Don't insult him by using him for political gain. You can't fit Jesus into a political party because he's so much bigger than all of that. Don't try to retrofit Jesus into your earthly ideals. When you try to force Jesus into a political party or into something of this world, you're forced to ignore half of his ministry. Jesus was never concerned with being in charge. He was never concerned with being the greatest. He was never concerned with political gain. Jesus was concerned with humility. 
Jesus was concerned with being a servant, with being the least. He said that the first will be last and the last will be first. He said not to forfeit your soul in order to gain the whole world. He didn't concern himself with government or politics because he was about something that was so much bigger than all of that. But you know who was concerned with all of that? The opponents of Jesus. You know, we mentioned the rich young ruler earlier. He's a little bit of an interesting case because in his mind, he was a devoted follower. He was doing all the right things and he was saying all the right things. He knew all the right things. But when Jesus asked him to give up the things that were most important to him, he walked away. And it doesn't matter how much we claim to be a Christian, how much we say we're going to serve the Lord, if we cannot give up the things that we hold dear in order to follow Christ, we are not completely devoted to him. And we walk away quietly. We've talked about three steps to help us clear the confusion in our commitment to Christ this morning. And so, for us today, for step one, what does God want? Well, I think that Jesus made it pretty clear in Matthew 22 that he wants us to love him with all of our heart and then love our neighbors as ourselves. I could easily point out 10 more passages, but over again, again, it's clear that the will of God is that Christ be the center of our life and for us to love people with the same love that Jesus has for us. Step two is to understand the alternatives. And for us, we can choose to devote our lives to a whole host of things in this world. But we have to know that all of those things will eventually lead to disappointment. And they all pale in comparison to Jesus. And step three is to make a decision. And I think this morning, it's time for a lot of us to make a decision. Just like Joshua stood before the Israelites that day and said, it's time. It's time to let go of these idols that you're holding on to. I think it's time for us to decide whether we're going to let go of ours or not. It's time to decide whether we are more devoted to championships or to Jesus. And I'm not just talking about church attendance. I mean, if we put as much time into teaching our kids about the ways of Jesus and studying God's Word as we do training for sports or studying for for school, then it would be amazing. But I fear that's not happening. As parents, it's easy to start chasing after the God of success at the expense of a relationship with Jesus. And I know it's hard. The reason I know, I fear that this isn't happening because there's only so much time and life is so crazy and I barely have time to get the things done that I need to get done with my kids. And so if I'm spending so much time on these things, I fear that what's suffering is their relationship with Jesus. And look, there's nothing wrong with sports. I, I love sports. I've always played sports. There's nothing wrong with excellence and training and using your God-given abilities. They're from God. There's nothing wrong with that. Just be careful that we're not teaching our kids that Jesus can just be a part of the mix. I also think it's time to decide whether we are more devoted to our country or to our political party over Jesus. Are we more committed to our side winning or winning souls for Christ? Are we more concerned with being right or loving others? Friends, as I look at our world today, I think a growing roadblock for people to accept Jesus is the way that people claim to, who claim to be his followers interact with people who don't see eye to eye with them. And yes, there will be those that disagree with what the Bible has to say because it disagrees with their lifestyle, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. I'm talking about people who proclaim Jesus in one breath and then slander the other side in the next. I fear that we're trying to win the battle at the expense of losing the war. 
I mean, how can we talk about a loving God and the love of Jesus and then tear down those who we don't see eye to eye with? I mean, when did Jesus ever fight fire with fire? Friends, we get so wrapped up in the debates about earthly things, we are misrepresenting Jesus because Jesus never got caught up in those things. There's a pastor down in, in the Charlotte, North Carolina area named Derwin Gray, and he's one of my favorites. And, and he said, we don't belong to the party of the donkey or the elephant. We belong to the party of the lamb. Don't let the elephant or the donkey rip apart what the lamb has brought together. And so I think it's time for some of us to let go of our idols this morning. We've covered two, but there's so many other things that we hold on to that we try to put on the throne. And so whatever it is that we're trying to hold on to and follow Jesus at the same time, we need to make a decision and let go of what is hindering us. If there is a sin in your life that you know is wrong, it's time to let go of it and stop letting it entangle you. We cannot go on knowingly living in sin and expect God to bless our life. Joshua told the Israelites that God would not forgive their rebellion and their sins while they were off serving other gods. And even on this side of the cross, yes, Jesus certainly died for all, and he is available to all, but he is the only way to the Father. And so we have to commit ourselves to him. We cannot take advantage of his grace. We cannot abuse his grace. As we saw in our focus verse this morning, Paul says, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Because this is the same mentality the Israelites had in Joshua's day. It's the mentality of, hey, God's going to forgive us. I mean, all we have to do is ask. And he likes to forgive. He loves to forgive us. I'm really just doing him a favor. I'm just really doing him a favor so people can see how big his grace is. I mean, he loves to forgive. I love to sin. It's really a win-win situation here. I mean, we get to do whatever we want to do. He gets to do what he likes. Everybody's happy. Except Paul said that's not how it works. Verse 2, he says, We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? If we truly give our lives to Christ, if we are baptized into him as a new creation, how can we continue to live in sin? And yes, we will fall short and we will sin. But how can we allow ourselves to live in sin while claiming to follow Jesus? When we have a confused commitment to Christ, we're just asking for doubt to start to creep in. When we're trying to keep commitments to other gods and to Jesus, it's easy for us to be easily shaken in our faith because our faith isn't strong enough to only follow Jesus. And that makes us susceptible to crumble under the things of this life. When the storms of life come, we crumble. The things that cause us to question and doubt, our faith isn't strong enough to withstand. Instead of being committed to work through the questions and doubts, many, unfortunately, look to their other gods for help instead. This morning, in the first service, as I was sitting there during communion, I, I, I just started thinking about how Christ went to the cross for each one of us, before any, well before, obviously, before any of us were born. But he came to this earth committed to each one of us, that he would be bruised and beaten, torn apart for the sake of each one of us, for you He committed to you well before you were anything on this earth. He committed to your salvation and the forgiveness of your sins because of his love for you. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God made a commitment to us. God loved each of us enough to provide a path to salvation. And now it's time for us to let go of our idols and follow him alone. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful in many ways that you give us the freedom of choice. That you have not forced us into any lifestyle. That we are unique. That we can be who we want to be with different giftings, with different abilities. We're not one mold. We're so different. And yet, we're united through Christ. Father, this morning, I I pray that you would help us to recognize the idols in our life. So many things that are not bad things. They're fun things. They're things that maybe you created. They're things that we're able to do because of you. But somewhere along the way, we let that take the throne over Jesus. So this morning, I, I hope I ask that you'll help us recognize what those things are and that we'll have the courage and we'll have the strength and the wisdom to say no more. It's time for us to let go of the idols in our life. The things that will disappoint us, the things that will let us down, the things that will break our hearts because we've depended on them on these things, on these people, instead of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that we would come to you this morning and repent of this idol worship that we've had, and we would say, from this day forward, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus with all that I am. I have decided to make that commitment, that clear commitment to Christ. You, you can have all that I am. I make myself available to you to be used in whatever way you would see fit. Father, we're thankful that you let us be a part of your kingdom here. We're thankful that we have that ability. Most of all, we're thankful for Jesus because without Jesus, without the love and the grace that you've shown us, without the forgiveness of our sins, none of that would be possible. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for committing to us from the beginning that you would give us a way to come back to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've never made that first commitment to Christ, maybe you've tried a bunch of different things in your life, and maybe you've found this out or maybe you haven't, but here's the thing. Ultimately, all of those things lead to unsatisfaction. They lead to heartbreak and they lead to destruction because the truth of the matter is There's a lot of ways that we can try to make ourselves happy in this world, but the only true path to salvation is through Jesus Christ. So whatever gods you might have put, whatever idols you might have put in the way of Jesus in your life, I pray that you'll cast those aside this morning and make that initial commitment, that decision that says, I'm going to put Jesus on the the throne of my life from this day forward, and I'm going to follow him and him alone. 
I don't want to try these ways anymore. It's not working out for me. And there's a reason for that because Jesus is the only way. So if you've never made that commitment, man, there's no better day than today to say, I want to make Jesus the king of my life. He is my savior and I want to follow him for the rest of my days. I'd love to have you come forward, be baptized into a new creation. Leave your old life behind. Be a new creation to him. Live for him from this day forward. If you've already made that decision and Maybe things have gone sideways. Maybe things, you've let things creep in. Maybe you're just struggling right now with the storms of life. I would love to pray with you. Such, there's so many things that can happen. You can come here on a Sunday and be, man, on the, the mountain top. And within the span of a week, by the time you come back here, you're in the lowest valley you've ever been in. That's a fact of life. Whether or not we have Jesus, that stuff happens to everybody. But the difference is that we have Jesus on our side. And we have the ultimate weapon, the connection to the Father that says, I want to hear what's going on. Come to me with every anxiety. Come to me with everything. So we would love to pray over whatever's going on in your life. You're struggling with something or there's somebody in your life that you know is struggling. We'd love to pray over that. So I'll be down front here. I'd love to pray with you now or maybe after the service. You can come during the week. Somebody will be here. Another great way is you can scan this QR code and there's an information card on there. You can submit a prayer request through there. We do pray over those because we believe in inviting God into whatever's going on in our life through the power of prayer. And so if you have a decision to make, I'll be down front. If you, have, you just need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Uh, but at this time, I just ask that all of us stand and sing our final song together.